0: Let's do it.
1: And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey,
0: Colin McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the
1: St. John's Sea Dogs. And I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Gabriel Landescog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silver Tips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, it's Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarve. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Conner. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferribe from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany.
0: I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Hall-Lennon. Hey, it's Nicola Ehlers.
1: It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Everly of Keenum, Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gruden Baiso from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Zary from the Kamloops Blazers. I'm Alexander Holston. I'm Lucas Freeman Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanderson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Katie Dooley. Here's Mark Rossi. I'm from the other Sounds. And more. Excellent! This is The Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. That's me. If you are a newcomer to the program, then welcome aboard. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. And if you're a supporter on Patreon, that's at patreon.com slash show then a special welcome back to you as well. But uh, your support uh, keeps the lights on here for The Pipeline Show, and I appreciate that immensely let's get to the show normally we would start with the question of the day and i didn't really prepare one we could do something simple like your thoughts on the world junior championship we'll get to that with uh, my guest for this week here coming up but i was really thinking more uh, in terms of you know what happens now for a lot of those players because a lot of them were you know chl guys the college guys go back to college the ncaa for the most part is still trying to uh, play and deal with uh, COVID um, situations when they pop up and reschedule games and and steer around it that way the USHL is is still playing uh, and uh, just postponing things when there's issues and they get back to them when they can. Uh, The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is starting up here again on uh, January 22nd. No starts, though, for the OHL or the WHL yet. I know the league is meeting, the WHL is meeting today. As I speak with you, it's Friday, but haven't heard any results. By the time this comes out, we may have heard something, but as of uh, the moment I'm speaking with you, no clear date yet on a uh, another target to start up the league for this season. So the question, you know, what's what happens with all the players now? Where do they go? Some of the European guys will go back home. Uh, some of them have joined their their prospective uh, CHL teams, though. I know I know Tri City. I uh, got uh, one of their players uh, from the World Juniors. But I didn't really know how to formulate a question around all of that. I was trying to put it together in my head, like if you are a fan of the WHL or the OHL, and you see all these other leagues playing and having issues, but still playing and going around them, how how do you feel? And if you're man, if you're an owner of a team in the WHL or the OHL, do you are you getting frustrated? Do you want your league to just try to push through and like everybody else seems to be? Although Junior A Leagues in Canada aren't going again, not yet anyway. But I imagine there's got to be a level of frustration for people involved in the leagues that aren't playing when they see other leagues are playing somewhat successfully. And now we're starting to see a little bit of trickle of uh, players going to other places. Uh, For example, let's just get to the news and notes. It's been reported that uh, Matthew Savoy is uh, going to Dubuque. I know the Dubuque Fighting Saints released... Uh, they tweeted out that he was coming. They play this weekend. I don't see him on their roster yet, at least not on their team website. And I did just read their season preview, and there's no mention of him playing. And the reason I think that, that sticks out is because, as Greg Dredden uh, reported uh, or reminded everybody not that long ago, a similar situation happened with uh, Cole Sillinger at the start of the year. Madison had Tigers forward, went down to Sioux, was it Sioux Falls or Sioux City. I can't remember in order to play that was earlier in the season and didn't wasn't allowed to the the release from hockey canada to usa hockey never went through so he wasn't able to play so i'm not sure if it happens for matthew savoy and if it does why it does for him but not for sillinger but we'll see and if it does does that open the door for other guys and i'm thinking not just for say sillinger again but uh, other players who I mean, some of them were playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, like like a Dylan Gunther, for example. Other WHL guys like that. In that same uh, little summary on his blog that uh, Greg Grinnan has, which is really valuable, actually nice little summaries uh, for a lot of the stories across uh, hockey, the the hockey landscape. Check that out, at greggrinnen.com uh, He mentions that uh, Mike Sawatsky from the Winnipeg Free Press has uh, reported that Connor Geeky is considering doing the same. He's got USHL and NAHL teams who have been uh, contacting him. Uh, And further to that, uh, he says uh, the, this is Greg, says the USHL's Lincoln Stars have four players that belong to the Portland Winterhawks roster uh, on their uh, list. But Mike Johnston uh, with the Winterhawks says that's not going to happen unless the WHL season is canceled. So, We'll see where it all goes from here, but uh, you got to wonder, players got to be getting pretty itchy, those in the OHL and the WHL who haven't been able to play. One good note for those who have been drafted already is that uh, right now, until the OHL and the WHL start up, and even the Q for that matter, drafted players who are signed by their NHL teams will be allowed to play in the American Hockey League. Now that's, that's a temporary thing, that's not going to be a permanent thing. But Darren Hayes from the, from the Canadian Press and The Athletic in Calgary uh, reporting that, uh, for example, that Brad Tree Living, the GM there of the Flames, confirmed to him that uh, their young prospects, guys in the CHL, like Jacob Pelche and Dustin Wolfe and, and Connor Zary, both of the WHL, and uh, Pelche out in the queue, uh, those guys would be allowed to play in the American Hockey League right now. But that doesn't help players, you know, high-end players like Logan Stankoven and, and Sillinger and uh, Dylan Gunther and Sebastian Kosa, who are not drafted yet and still looking for a place to play. So good news for some guys, but uh, not for all guys. Last bit of uh, news and notes. Obviously, the uh, World Junior Championship is going to be a focus of the show, so we're not going to delve too deeply into that right now. As my guest coming up, I'll tell you who that is but we cover the uh, the World Junior from uh, start to finish. The awards were handed out at the end. Uh, obviously, by now, everybody knows the United States uh, shut out Canada 2-0 in the final. Finland beat Russia to uh, capture the bronze. Top goaltender of the tournament was uh, Devin Levi. Topi Nyamala of, of Finland was uh, the top defenseman, and Tim Stutzla was named the top forward for the tournament, and MVP was uh, Trevor Zegers of the United States. I don't have a problem with any of those uh, players getting awards, I was a little I was curious how they were going to handle the MVP and the top forward because I don't think there's any question Ziegris had the best tournament and he was the top forward. and you could make an argument that Tim Stutzler was the most valuable player to his team, but I'm not sure what the the criteria for most for the MVP is. Is it just best player because then for sure they they got it right with the Zgris. but if he's the best player, shouldn't he also be the best forward? So uh, we're we're splitting hairs, I'm sure, but I think the performance Stutzler had for uh, Germany, definitely deserving of uh, of taking home some hardware. The All-Star team is interesting to look at because Devin Levi is uh, the goaltender on the All-Star team, and both Zegers and Stutzler are there as well. Topi Niemela, though, named best defenseman in the tournament, is not on the All-Star team, which is uh, interesting. Ville Heinola from Finland and Bowen Byram from Canada are the two defensemen. Dylan Cousins also makes the team from Team Canada. Maybe that that could be our question today, is what stood out to you from the World Junior Championship? Which individual performances are you going to remember? What was the biggest story of the tournament? I, I know for for me, for sure, the, the story of the tournament is is Germany. First time they get to the medal round, considering what they'd all gone through, 14 players to, to start the first couple of games. They got shellacked by Canada, 16-2, to 2, yet they're able to, still come back and they get their, their their roster eventually filled out and they play really well. They lose in the quarterfinals to, to Germany, but that was a close game. They worked really hard in that game. First time that country has ever been to the uh, the medal round, uh, I think is remarkable. So, so to me, that was the story of the tournament and Stutzla probably the, the breakout performer. But there were a number of other guys who showed really well. So maybe that'll be the question of the day and you can uh, fill my inbox with what you will take away. And remember from the 2021 World Junior Championship in Edmonton. Also went off really well, didn't it? I mean, not a. It obviously started with a, with Germany. Ha- well, a large chunk of their team in quarantine, but no positive cases after the tournament began, and eventually those players were able to come back. Again, kudos to everybody uh, in Edmonton uh, with the organization of uh, the bubble and how successful that was. And we saw that with the the NHL when it was here as well the world u18 scheduled for michigan this spring apparently they're already talking usa hockey new and hockey canada about how to do a bubble there and hopefully that will it will happen and that they'll have the same sort of success that would be fantastic Let's get to the guest list. Just one guest again this week, uh, as it was last week, but uh, next week we'll get back to normal. But uh, my guest this week joins me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline, of course, the uh, the tap room in uh, Red Deer. Uh, lots of apparel and paraphernalia available there now and still doing the uh, home delivery. When you go online to troubledmonk.com, place your order, make sure you use promo code PIPELINE, and that delivery to you will be on the house. That doesn't matter if you're uh, spending 30 bucks or 300 bucks, But anywhere from uh, Calgary to St. Albert and all points in between if you're here in Alberta. Right along Highway 2, so you've got all the, the markets like, uh, well, you start from Calgary and you go to Airdrie and up to Olds. And I'm sure Carstairs is probably involved and Red Deer itself. I know Sylvan Lake is on their list. Then you've got Lacombe and Pinocchio and Leduc into Edmonton. Sherwood Park, St. Albert included in that. I've had the pleasure of uh, trying a couple of the uh, the new IPAs, or not IPAs rather, but the uh, well the Let Them Drink Cake dessert stout, sort of a right reminded me that like there's a hint of uh, black forest cake sort of flavor to it. So if you if you're a fan of black forest cake, I think you'll like that one. And uh, just yesterday I had the uh, carrot cake ale, and that one I liked a lot. Still for me, uh, juicy gossip is one of my favorite, and the the vacation. But uh, get the taster pack and uh, give it a try if you've never had Troubled Monk before. It is, as their slogan uh, would state, craft beverages worth sharing. Fantastic. TroubledMonk.com. My guest this week is Julie Robenheimer, who you've heard on this program for a long time now. We always chat around World Junior Time because I know she loves the event so much. At World Juniors that I've attended in the past, she's always there. We out hanging out in the press box and stuff, and she likes to uh, dance to all the music when it comes on. But, sh- man, she's she's so smart. She's got such a great eye for the game and a real knack for interviewing players and getting the, the, the stories that you don't always hear about. She's first rate when it comes to stuff like that for sure. So I wanted to talk to her after the U.S. wins. Uh, I know she's been uh, interviewing a lot of the players and things like that, so uh, get her perspective. It's It's one she hasn't been to. Because nobody was allowed to travel to this one and attend it. I know there were some local media that went, and technically I could have, but uh, chose not to just because I have somebody in my house uh, that would be uh, at risk if I happen to bring something home. Uh, so I did not attend in person. I watched all the games on TV, as everybody else did. So Julie and I will recap the World Junior Championship and uh, share some of the stories that uh, that she uh, took away from it and some of the impressions and memories that she garnered by uh, watching the tournament and covering it f- from home. And uh, there's also some question about what happened at the end of the the final with the uh, team picture for the U.S. We get into that a little bit as well. Uh, so a pretty interesting conversation with her. Oh, and just so you know, before we uh, start the uh, the interview, uh, Pro Stock Hockey right now has a, a new season sale where you can take home a new pair of Pro Stock CCM pants for just $49.99. That would be American. But check them out and everything else that they have to offer at prostockhockey.com. It's your online source for authentic pro stock hockey equipment from sticks and gloves and all the rest. You can follow them on Twitter at pro stock hockey. Let's begin the show next. Julie Romanheimer from Elite Prospects, EP Ringside, next here on the Pipeline Show. And the fans will start a lead pass. In a low, Faraday scores! John Faraday catches the wins on a change, and the United States retakes the lane. Hey, it's John Faraday from the Dexter Southfield School, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. They
0: used to tell me, boy, you ain't going nowhere.
1: With the cheap guitar and your big long hair. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, it's one of my personal favorites, but tell the people about it. The Vacation Mexican Lager. When the chores are done, the lawn is mowed or the sidewalk shoveled, this Mexican Lager is perfect for floating on fresh powder or floating down the river. The vacation Lager is a little getaway every day. Player comparable, Sidney Crosby can do it all and is always in the conversation of the very best. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. It is The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we'll uh, recap... The 2021 World Junior Championship, uh, a very unusual, very unique in a lot of aspects. Obviously, no fans and all the COVID protocols that had to go through it. You got the big bubble, all the teams in one one city. Well, we've seen one city before, but not all the games being played in one rink. Uh, but it went off very, very successfully, especially if you're a fan of uh, Team USA, what a tournament they had. And to uh, help me recap the event... Julie Robenheimer, good friend of the Pipeline Show from uh, Elite Prospects uh, EP Rinkside, welcome back to the show, Julie. How are
0: you? Uh thank you so much. I am excellent as always.
1: When I describe it as a very unique tournament, because all of the the COVID stuff that was going on, it's it's definitely has its uh, uniqueness because of that. And yet some some of the aspects of the tournament are what we see pretty much every year. Four of the five teams we usually expect in the semifinal were there again. Canada and the U.S. I don't think anybody would be surprised uh, to see them in the final. And when those two teams meet, <laughs> lately it's been the U.S. winning. So in some ways, very different, but sometimes, uh, or in some ways, what we've come to expect too. What, what's your takeaway from this event?
0: Well, much like you said, I, I feel like it played out pretty much exactly like we thought it would. Um, you know, it, there's always the usual suspects. I mean, it's going to take an extraordinary team or an extraordinary effort for one of the other teams to crack the semifinals. So we always know that it's, it's typically one of these five teams in the mix and, um, and that's what we got. And, you know, there's an argument out there that some of these teams don't belong. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. We didn't have this conversation last year because last year's tournament was incredibly deep from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was so disappointed last year that Germany didn't advance to the semifinals because they were in, like, the most ridiculous group. But they were better than one of the other teams in the other group that made it to the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. So I felt horrible that they didn't have the opportunity to compete because, in my opinion, they would have been much better than Slovakia last year. But now this year, we kind of have this confluence of extremes. So you have no NHL. So you have guys playing who normally might not even be there, might not be available to their team. I'm looking at guys like Trevor Zegras. I'm looking at Tim Stutzel. I'm looking at potentially Dylan Cousins. Uh, Kirby Doc definitely wouldn't have been there, you know, if he had been healthy. So um, it's it's one of those things where you have the powerhouses being exceptionally strong, and unfortunately, just the way the cycle works um in um the smaller countries, it was a down year for almost all of them. So, yeah, they got a little beat up. But I will say this. I loved how Germany came back, especially in the quarterfinals, to compete. And then also Czech Republic and Slovakia, like, they were still competitive. Mm-hmm. They might not win every game, but they are competitive. They will make you work for that win. So... You know, I just, again, this is the most entertaining, um, most, you know, central uh, talent, uh, centralized talent. It's just an incredible tournament. I love it. And, you know, don't change it.
1: Um, and
0: if you are going to change it, add two more teams hmm. and, and make it more interesting. I'm into that.
1: Because, uh, you know, every time, every year, there's people out there who will say, there's you should only have eight teams. And I argue against that, like no. you do. Otherwise... Germany isn't in this situation where they get to the medal round for the first time in their history, and they have all that that buzz and excitement. Uh, what a remarkable story for them to start the tournament with only what they have—14 players dressed uh, for the first two games. Yeah, they lose 16 to two, and they still come back, and they still have competitive games and get their way to the medal round. And you think about all the young German fans who are able to watch that—you know, the eight-year-olds who are inspired by that now. And you know, you got Leon Drysital in the NHL is. Top scorer in the league. There's a, a bit of buzz growing for Germany. Why would you not want a country like that in this tournament?
0: Well, it's the same thing with Team Austria. Like after the tournament was over, Marco Rossi posted a photo of himself in his um, you know team gear, and he's like, "I'm proud to be Austrian," and I love that for him. Mm. I love that he he did not have the tournament that he you know was expected to have. His team won nothing. So, like, in, in every other mind out there, that was a, a tournament not to be proud of. But for them, that was incredible. It was great for their national federation. It was great for exposure of the sport in their country. It, it, it is, it's, like, there's just so many benefits. I could talk for hours about this, but there are so many benefits to have these quote minnow teams in this tournament and it doesn't really have anything to do with winning. It really doesn't. It's an opportunity to play on a world stage. It's an opportunity to play with the best in the best in your age group that they wouldn't otherwise get to do. And I also talk about even the competitive standpoint of it is you can sit there and say, okay, you know, we beat up on these division one teams and we're feeling really good about ourselves Let's see how we compare to the big boys. And then you get there and you're like, oh, my God, we mm-hmm. still have lots lot to work on. But you need to know that. It's just like we say, like in the Stanley Cup finals, like teams need to understand what it means to lose. They have to go through losing in order to understand how to win. And and it's the same with this. Like they need to see where they are and what they can do. I mean, that's why Denmark changed their Uh, development program uh, to have a bigger focus on actually developing their youth players instead of sending them off to Sweden to play Swedish juniors and then hope, you know, they come back at some point, you know? So it's just, it's, it's part of the growth of the game. Like these are, things that need to happen. And like I said, I think in 10 years, we're going to be talking about a 12-team tournament, and I'm going to be super excited about it.
1: Oh, that would be something. Julie Robenheimer, my guest, uh, you're awfully close to Team USA and uh, some of the people in the organization, and uh, I know you were doing a lot of work covering this tournament uh, tell me about Team USA, and uh, was it a any surprise to you at all how competitive they were? I mean, it, the first game, I lost against Russia, where Spencer Knight wasn't that great. Came back, and boy, they were lights out the rest of the tournament. And and uh, full credit to them for the for the gold. How'd they do it?
0: Well, again, I feel like it's an instance where you have to understand what it means to lose before you can right. light that fire under your belly and get it going. So. There are a couple things at play here. One is that um, this team is uh, primarily made up of um, the U18 squad uh, from the 01 two years ago that was completely dominating the competition and then lost um, in the semifinals for uh, the gold at the U18 World Championships. So this is a team that was highly motivated to, to win a gold medal. And to do it like together, like this, this could arguably be the last time that they had to play on a team like this together. So they wanted to take full advantage of it. Now we also talk a lot about um, how uh, some players were missing from teams. And a lot of people forgot that team USA lost their second and third line center in John Beecher and Thomas Bordelow because of false positive COVID tests. Mm. So, you know, it was one of those things where they they failed the, the rapid test. They did they each did two more tests and both of them came back negative. So they were trying to petition to the I I H S and, um, you know, the uh, protocols that they set forth saying, hey, this was a false positive. These kids shouldn't be punished. And they're like, no, this is our protocol, like one failed test and you're out. And so, and that was right at the last minute, right before they got to Edmonton, that happened. So this is their third test um, that they had to take and unfortunately failed. So, um, you know, you lose two very important guys on your team after having a week of practice. So like Team USA is loving their lines. Everybody's like running at a high clip and um, everything's really good. That's another thing I will say. Mate Lehman did not change up his lines nearly at all in this tournament, except for when uh, Pat Moynihan um, was injured and he had to come out, which mm-hmm. I think was another reason for their success. But anyways, they had to rejuggle their lines and kind of get guys back in the mix um to figure out like where they fit. And, and so I feel like all of that came into play. Plus, I also feel like it's the first game of the tournament and it's against a really good opponent. Right. So, um, you know, again, I loved their, their battle back in that game and how they played in the third period. And I feel like that was kind of foreshadowing of what we'd see from them throughout the rest of the tournament, which is exactly what happened. Like they were so, I loved seeing them in that. There's two, two goals that I particularly loved. I loved seeing them in that uh, semifinal game against Finland in which they scored late in the period, um, or actually late in regulation to win the game mm-hmm. because it was like, we are not leaving this on the table we, we there is nothing that we won't do to to you know advance and that's what they did they they sold out defensively like they were blocking shots like crazy and then when they got in the zone they were accepting nothing less than a goal and i love seeing that and then i also love their first goal against canada in the gold medal game They had Canada on the ropes. Like, if if they were sharks, blood was definitely in the water. They Mm -hmm. were tired. They were outworking them. And it was one of those things where I felt my like I was my mom. She always had this uncanny knack of knowing when somebody was going to (laughs) score. Like, I'd have to say, like, oh, mom, I got to go to the bathroom. She's like, hold on, honey, they're going to score. And they always did. I don't know how she did it. It was amazing. But I felt like her watching that. Because I was like, they're going to score. They are going to score. They smell it. You can see it. It was like they saw that Canada was tired and they ramped up their speed. They ramped up their passing like they were going to score. And um so I loved seeing that, too. It was, you know, it was very, um I don't want to say old school, but it was a throwback to that U18 squad that just steamrolled everybody. So, there's, there was a lot to like about Team USA. And and the best part about it is, with the exception of Trevor Zegers, and I would throw in Spencer Knight as well, um, even with that uh, shaky start, is like there really wasn't any star. Like there was no defensive star. Like everybody just did their job and worked off of each other. They played as a team, mm-hmm. and they, they found success doing it that way. And I loved it. I loved it. Also, the other thing that is a hallmark, I'm going to say of any gold medal team, but especially Team USA's, is a stellar third line who can not only shut it down and play really strong defensively, uh, provide a lot of energy, block shots, hits, battling for pucks, but can also score and put the puck in the net. And my goodness, John Farinacci and Brett Berard deserve a ton of credit because they contributed so much to the success of that team whether it was on the score sheet or
1: not yeah absolutely Bobby Brink on that line too had uh, a really strong mm-hmm. tournament as well I was I was really impressed with Farinacci you, you expect some of the the big name guys to to be the offensive leaders of the team and and uh, I mean they were zegris and Turcut and Kaliev and Boldy all those guys put up the numbers but then you have John Farinacci in that third line role who scored some pretty impactful goals at at the right time and um, guys like that, as you said, that third line really came up big for that team. Uh, and I thought defensively, everybody knew that, that that Cam York would be the guy on the back end, but I was really impressed with a guy like Brock Faber, too.
0: You know, I will say, with Team USA's blue line, I could say that about every single one of them. There wasn't one defenseman where I was like, Ugh, if he could just stop doing that, that would be amazing. Right. Because they all were fantastic. They may not, I always say, defensemen, you either notice them for all the things that they do well, or you notice them for all the things that they do wrong, or you don't notice them at all because they are so good at their job that they just do it. You know, they just get the puck, they get it up ice. They don't, they're not super flashy. And I feel like that's what was the hallmark of Team USA's defense here. You know, I mean, you've got Johnson, you've got Sanderson, you've got Lacombe, you've got Faber, like even, even Kim York wasn't even noticeable. In Cam York ways, like like he is at Michigan, because he just did his job, and everybody just did it so well and got it, you know, got it out of the zone, up the ice, and into the hands of their forwards who could make magic with it and let them be flashy. I loved it. I loved this defensive core.
1: Yeah, well deserved of the uh, the gold medal. Uh, I'm going to ask you about uh, Canada's performance uh, in that game as well, and I kind of go back to what you were talking about you uh, need to lose a little bit, experience uh, some adversity. And I know there are people on this side of the border asking, did Canada have it too easy before the gold medal game, that once they got there and played a a tough opponent, they didn't know really how to respond. How do you feel about that?
0: I agree. I mean, that gold medal game was the first time Canada Canada had been behind the entire tournament. Mm -hmm. And that that includes the uh, exhibition game. Like, they really didn't know as a team how to come together and come from behind to win. Like, they just didn't. And that's not to say, like, individually they didn't. Yeah, sure, they do. Individually, they've all been through that experience. But together as a team, they have not. And I feel like that was difficult because at that point, you saw guys trying to be too individualistic and trying to do it all on their own, which cost them in terms of a team strategy and being effective in that way. So um in terms of Canada's performance I I feel like they just thought they were going to come in and be team Canada and win. Like they all they had to do was show up. I call it Michiganitis cuz sometimes I feel like that's what happens to Michigan. They just like, "Oh, we're Michigan, we're going to win." And they don't. So I feel like it it was kind of the same idea. They just thought that they were going to be good enough because you know why? Everybody told them that they that they were the best team ever. And they did nothing to, you know, prove otherwise. So I will say that this is what I think is the challenge of having the tournament fall the way that it does in terms of groupings, And it's going to be the same way next year, too. Canada's group is outrageously weak. And, you know, USA has USA, Sweden, um, I think Switzerland and Slovakia.
1: Yeah, it's it's exactly the same as it was this year, except switch uh, the Czech Republic and Slovakia switch pools. Otherwise, it's exactly yeah exactly the same.
0: Yeah, so I feel like uh, you know th- that's unfortunate for for Canada because I feel like they would do better in general if they were um, challenged more throughout yeah. the tournament. And and I mean, I even feel that way about. Um, USA like them losing that game against Russia I think was a huge eye-opener that needed to happen in order for them to and maybe not lose but to be challenged in that way that needed to happen because I think we saw the transition happen in the middle of that second period when they started to come back but if that game didn't happen would we have seen the team USA that we did in the gold medal game I'm not entirely sure maybe maybe not so I feel that that's the same way with Canada like and and uh, You know, I just want to see more. And that's why even when we were talking about the potential of adding more teams, there's a theory floating around there that if we added two more teams, we could have a top six bracket and then a bottom six bracket. And so the top six would um, advance automatically, but they would just play each other for seeding. And then the top two um, from the bottom six would advance to the quarterfinals. And that's how it would be determined. Um, and then, obviously, uh, rankings, like how that falls. So, like, let's say the number five or the number six team loses in the quarterfinals, then they would be in the bottom six the next year. Okay. So, so there's a, a thought there that that could happen to kind of create more parity and to give the teams that um, are uh, more competitive, we'll say, the opportunity to actually compete against each other every year. You know, like, wouldn't it be great if you could see Canada and Russia or, you know, Russia and Sweden or you know, whoever All, every year and you knew it was going to happen instead of like, oh, maybe in the preliminary round. And, oh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that they meet in the in the medal round. Oh, that's um, interesting. So, right. It's an interesting theory. And I also think that it would be great to see like, you know, Slovakia and uh, you know, Norway or Latvia or, you know, like I would love to see those teams in the mix every year because they would be competitive amongst themselves. Like they may not be competitive among the top dogs. Right. You know, I think that that would be great and allow them to be, you know, showcased. Cause I will say this, the other benefit to this, to this having these quote minnow teams in this tournament is that it just puts more eyeballs on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the Austrian goalie Reneschitz, like I totally think somebody's going to draft him. And, and they may not draft him, but they're definitely going to spend more time looking at him this year right. than, than they would have before this tournament started. And there are lots of other players like that. You know, every year there's somebody from some small team where you're like, wow, that kid was really good. And so to have more players on a world stage like this, I mean, I only see good things from it, from, from every angle, from the fans perspective, from the players perspective, and from, you know, we'll say NHL management and scouting perspective.
1: Before I get off of uh, Team Canada for a second, there were three NCAA guys uh, on the uh, on the roster. Devin Levi and, and Net had a fantastic tournament for Canada, and, and Alex Newhook and, and uh, Dylan Holloway both played really well up front for Canada. When Levi gets to the Northeastern, I know he's one of mm-hmm. four goalies on the roster. Is he the starter?
0: Um, I'm going to go with yes, but I also think he was the starter anyway. Okay. <laughs> So um I I feel like he was you know going to jump into that role this year um to begin with uh but really hard to not go that route um at this point in the stage um for for Northeastern um especially since they've already played a couple games and um I haven't checked their record lately but I don't think it's all that spectacular so it's not like you know they're you know solid in that that they couldn't use somebody like Devin Levi, but honestly, let's just talk about him and like taking this opportunity. Because again, another guy who stepped up and, you know, saw this chance and took it and believed in himself and, and just, man, so impressive. I like, literally, I'm so impressed with him. He wasn't even supposed to be on this team, Mm -hmm. like, let alone in discussion for starter. But all you need is to get your foot in the door. And that's what he did. He impressed during um, their camp, and, I, like, honestly, what a tremendous performance. He definitely deserved to be the directorate, um, top goalie, and, uh, and um, all-star team as well. Like, just what an incredible performance by him.
1: He was my favorite player interview that I had on the show uh, last season. He was fantastic. If uh, I imagine you've had a chance to speak with him. If you haven't, uh, I think you'd... Really enjoy that conversation uh, with Devin Levi. Alex Newhook and and Dylan Holloway, what do you think?
0: So I loved what I saw out of Alex, and I think that he was totally in the mix. It's kind of his player. He's like this kind of um, pesky, always there um, guy. You know, like uh, I don't know what the right word is. Like he's not necessarily a mucker and grinder, but he's just kind of like always around. He's tenacious, Um,
1: and his motor never stops. Yeah,
0: that's a good word. Like, he's just always there. And um, and then you add the fact that he's got some skill to his game. I love that combination. Um, I'm super excited to see him uh, continue that with Boston College. Um, and then for Dylan, here's the thing with Dylan. Everybody, even last year, everybody expected the stars and the moon from this guy because um, he was projected to be a high pick. And then like, oh, we fell in the draft rankings, et cetera, et cetera yada, yada. But here's what I love about Dylan is he does his job. You know, he is, he does have offensive skill, but his skill is using his strength and his speed to get to the net. You know, like he's, he's not a guy with like flashy hands. And I feel like, again, there's this perspective uh, um, perception that because he was so highly thought of that he needed to have that. And that's just like, you're watching the wrong player if that's what you want from him and so i love what i saw from him in terms of and and again he wasn't used all that much but when he was i felt like we really saw him use his size his speed his Mm -hmm. strength um working down low working in the corners getting the puck to his line mates um you know i really love that i mean you know i have a an exceptional affinity for muckers and grinders and loose puck finders so Like, he's right up my alley, and, you know, as he matures and gets bigger and gets even stronger, I think we're going to see more and more from him because he'll just be able to convert more.
1: Anything else from the uh, that uh, will be a lasting memory for you or individual performances that that stood out for you that you're going to remember?
0: Um, Well, I think the Austrian goalie was really good. I think Tim Stutzla totally made a name for himself. If nobody knew who he was before, you knew who he was now. Um, I was super excited to see a lot of the 2022 draft eligible players play so well. Um, Slavkowski, uh, Nemich, Brad Lambert uh, for Team Finland. Um, I, I thought that all of them played exceptionally well, like mm-hmm. not even just for their age, but they were big parts of their team. Um, and I'm excited to see them come back next year and play even bigger roles and make an even bigger impact. Um, so, oh, the one thing that I will say about this new, um, you know, world juniors will say that I really, really loved was the captains giving out the medals. Yeah. Like I loved that. I thought it was amazing. I, my heart broke for bone Byram in, in him having to do it, but man, I loved it. And you know what else I loved even more is the players, um, you could see because there was it was the their captain or their general manager giving out out the um, medals, mm-hmm. and you could kind of see that the players almost preferred, and some even the coaches preferred to get their medal from the captain, yeah, and not the general manager. And I loved that. So I don't know if that's going to stay moving forward, but dang it. I really liked it.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a nice little touch, too, and I don't know if it was just circumstance kind of led to that or if that was a decision to add that this year, but I hope they keep it, even if things are back to normal next year.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree.
1: Excellent. Well, Julie, I really appreciate your time as always. Uh, What's next for you at uh, EP Ringside?
0: Well, we actually just launched a new uh, YouTube show. It was intended just to be a uh, um, thing during World Juniors for us to – kind of share <laughs> uh, all the information we've been collecting through all of our interviews, but it's been received really well. So that's something that we'll continue um, that, that we'll be doing um, as far as me on EP Ringside, obviously I've got a weekly feature uh, coming. Um, what will be, I don't know. We'll see how things uh, shake out. I'm hoping to get back into the swing of college hockey and do a lot more there. Um and then normally, in February, I cover the bean pot and uh the um uh four and five nations tournaments for u eighteens and u twenties so we'll see um kind of what the opportunities are um in terms of the games that are actually happening this year, but you know there's never a shortage of things to write about so That's what keeps me excited and um, why I love what I do.
1: Excellent. Well, you do a fantastic job of it, and I always appreciate when you make time for the Pipeline Show. Julie, uh, happy New Year, and uh, stay safe, and uh, I look forward to having you on again.
0: All right, G, sounds great. Happy New Year to you as well.
1: That is uh, Julie Robenheimer from Elite Prospects uh, and uh, EP Rinkside who is a big fan of the World Junior Championship. Uh, I know I I have uh, met her at a couple of them in the uh, in the past here in Edmonton and over in Helsinki as well and I know she would have been here if it had been allowed and uh, I expect she'll be here next year if things are back to normal. One of the things uh, one of the topics from the World Junior that uh, we didn't touch on there was the whole uh, the barrel controversy that happened after the gold medal game in the uh, celebratory team photo that uh, Team USA was taking. It was initially, at the time, it was initially uh, described as a garbage can. It had the uh, Hockey Canada logo on the side of it, and when the picture was tweeted out and the video was tweeted out, uh, a lot of people got very, very upset because it looked like Team USA was posing with a garbage can with a Hockey Canada garbage can suggesting that maybe Team Canada was trash. That lasted for, I don't know, about 20 minutes, and then... The, the the truth came out about how it wasn't a garbage can, it was a barrel, and why a barrel, and uh, the whole story involved with that. Uh, Trevor Zegers was explaining to people, then uh, head coach Nate Lehman went on Twitter and explained it as well. I had tweeted out at the time, under the impression that it was a garbage can, because that's what was reported by the people who were there, that even if it was a garbage can, who cares? I think it's it's just basically trash talking, no pun intended there. Uh, between rivals and I think that's what makes rivalries great is that you're able to kind of jab it in their ribs a little bit and poke it if it was a garbage can would it have been disrespectful sure maybe a little bit and that's what I tweeted but overall it I don't think it was anything to get all that upset about but anyway I didn't bring it up with Julie during the official interview but we did talk about it for a little while before we started and uh I asked her afterwards if because it was good information if she had known about it before, you know, all the ruckus came out of afterwards, and she did, uh, and so we talked about that a little bit, and I thought I would, uh, I'd like to use that and share it with everybody, uh, but because it came outside of the actual interview, uh, I wanted to uh, check with her, see if it was okay. She said, sure, no problem. Um, so here is uh, the part we were talking about, about the barrel. So did you know about the whole barrel story before it, uh, the picture came out and there it was yes. uh, described as a garbage can? Like, did you know about it before, yes. like, during the battle round and stuff?
0: So um, in one of the pregame uh, inter- interviews on USA Hockey, like, they put, like, a little package together, like, highlighting video. Right. One of the guys had said something about one barrel at a time. Hmm. I think it was Turcotte, if I remember correctly. It was Turcotte. And so when I talked to Cole or Cam, I forget who it was, but I said, hey, I said, what's this one barrel at a time nonsense? I was like, it's, it's one game at a time. And he's like, no, it's one barrel at a time. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, it's like a motivational story where you, you only focus at one thing at a time. And so I had asked uh, Nate Lehman about it. Right. As well, you know, because I figured he would know what the hell he was talking about. And um anyways, and then he asked me not to say anything oh. because because nobody knew like it wasn't a thing. And if you remember, it was kind of like burn the boats. Do you remember in 2009 when BU had burned the boats on the back of all their shirts? I and everybody's like, no. the-? OK, so so BU in 2009, they they were the front runner for the for the NCAA championship the entire year. they And they knew they were the front runners. And so um, all year they like their training shirts for that year. You know, every team gets yeah, a training yeah. shirts yeah. Um, on the back of it. It said burn the boats and they wore them all the time. Like it wasn't a secret. Like they wore them everywhere. Okay. And, and uh, we were always like, well, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you know, oh, we can't tell you yet or, you know, whatever. And so at the frozen four, it was like, okay, can you tell us now? And they're like, you know, when we win, we'll tell you, but only if we win. And so when they came out for their um uh, post-game availability after winning the national championship game, um, Jack Parker sits down and normally we always ask the coach in, in college hockey. We always ask the coach for an opening statement so that he can yeah. like kind of get his thoughts about the game out. Yeah. And then we can ask questions. So, you know, coach, you know, do you want to share an opening statement? And he goes, yeah. He's like, and I'll answer like the most popular question all year <laughs> what does in the boats mean? Right. And he explained about how it was like some ancient, I want to say it was like the Mayans or the Aztecs or something like that, some ancient civilization, they were not accepting defeat. So when they, they, they were coming to attack and like take over this land or this island or whatever. It was. Oh, I, I know I, where I, it's I going. Know. Yeah. I know it's what you're saying. Ten, it's been 10 years since this story, since I talked about the story. So I don't entirely know the details, but basically when they land, they are burning the boats.
1: So nobody can because leave. Yeah. They're committed A, to be there. And,
0: they're committed they're in it we're burning the boats like nobody we can't retreat and nobody can get away from us right. we either win or we fail and so that was their motto the entire year was like win or fail right and so this was kind of the same idea like and and he said he's like it's it's uh not public knowledge you know and and you know like we haven't shared the story yet but it is something we're using as like a motivating thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so before every game, so before even their first preliminary game, so Finland was on their barrel because that was their first task.
1: Gotcha.
0: Because Lehman's whole thing was, I don't want anybody talking about we need to win a gold medal because we don't need to win a gold medal. We need to win the next game. And then and then we win the next game. And then we win the next game. And if we do that, a gold medal will take care of itself. Yeah. So So that was his focus about it. Uh, and, the, and that was mostly because he knew, like, how the program, like, you spend two years to win a gold medal. Like, that's what you do, you know, kind of thing. And so he knew that these guys in particular were focused on a gold medal because they, they, A, they lost it two years ago, and B, they didn't get a chance last year. Right. So, you know, like, he knew that there was going to be a lot of focus put on this gold medal, and he didn't want that. He wanted it on the next game, on the next game. So, anyways, after every win they took a group picture with the barrel, like, and, and he goes, and I didn't even plan that. Like, it just became a thing. Like the guys started doing it. So, so we did it after every game, we took a a picture with the barrel. And so when they won and they took a team picture, they're like, go get the barrel. So they went and they got the barrel.
1: I have, I have seen those barrels once they're empty, used as garbage cans, but that one didn't have a garbage bag or anything
0: still had the lid. On yeah. Me, so, yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was unfortunate. Like, yeah. Gosh. So anyways, it just like, it really, really irritated me. And then like, even after I like, cause people were like, Oh, you know, like, um, you know, it's a, it, it. What's the story behind it? Because I said, because as soon as I saw people started doing this, like I knew the story. So I'm like furiously typing during this uh, post game press conference, and I was like, it's not a trash can. There's a story behind it. I was like, please, just it's not a trash can. There's no disrespect. Yeah. And then because I didn't want to say it, like I didn't want to tell the story if it wasn't going to be public knowledge. And so when Nate came to the podium for the press conference. That was like the first thing he explained. He's like, you know, there's no no disrespect. It's not a trash can, you know, stuff like that. And I just felt like so bad because Nate then felt bad because Nate felt bad that people thought we were disrespecting Canada, which
1: they were not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get all that. And I was it was funny because there was so much outrage on Twitter and stuff. And and Mm -hmm. I, I was trying to. I didn't know if it was a garbage can or not. I just, because somebody says it's a garbage can, it's kind of what you're thinking it was. You're there. So even if it is a garbage can, who cares? Like, it's a rivalry. Yeah. it's just it just seems like really good chirping, kind of. Like, I yeah. think it's, even if it was it, you could put a dumpster on the ice and light it on fire, and <laughs> I'd be laughing. I think that'd be awesome for the rivalry. But, I don't know. Some yeah. people just seem to get pissed off. All right. So once again, there, that was Julie Robenheimer with the details on the whole barrel story. And that original story about the uh, the desert and the barrels in the desert that uh, she retweeted where uh, there's a recounting of that actual story. It's a fellow named Brian Tracy who went across the Sahara Desert. And apparently the markers in the desert so you don't get lost is every five miles, there is a black, a big black uh, diesel barrel used as markers. So you, you literally have to take it one barrel at a time so that's where the whole thing came from so uh, everybody that is all upset i think there's still people who are upset about it uh, nothing to get upset about so again thanks to julie for the interview and for the details on that terrific job as always that wraps up this week's episode just the one guest this week Uh, next week i promise we get back to normal with uh three or four guests We'll start looking ahead to the 2021 NHL Draft and uh, a lot more. If you are a uh, supporter on patreon.com slash thepipelineshow, I really appreciate your support. And there's a new way that you can uh, be a supporter as well. Usually up to now, it's been a monthly thing. Now you can uh, sign up on a yearly basis. So instead of your card being billed every month, it would just be billed once a year. If that's something you would prefer, uh, why don't you give that a look-see? And one last thing before I sign off, I know uh, there was, there's, I, I, it's been a tumultuous year around the world, and especially in the United States, and there was uh, a lot of chaos there this week. And I had uh, tweeted yesterday about, uh, just, I just retweeted a news piece that was uh, from a British news source, uh, just to give a perspective, uh, a non American perspective on what was happening. Maybe that would be beneficial to people who largely get their uh, media from the united states to just get a different perspective uh, and i got some pushback on that uh, today on twitter t- people again telling me to stay in my lane and things like that um, if you follow me on twitter at tps underscore gee 99.9 of the stuff you're gonna get is hockey stuff it's it's everything that i talk about here on the show i am a human being though and every once in a while there are going to be things that i just happen to mention and i thought looking at the unprecedented events that took place at the Capitol building in the, in Washington, D.C. yesterday. I made no judgments. For the most part, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get political on the show. I have friends and supporters and sponsors who probably lean the other direction uh, when it comes to the political spectrum than I do. I respect everybody's opinion. I don't want to piss people off. I don't want to alienate listeners. This isn't a political show. But anyway, I don't mean to piss anybody off on, on Twitter if, uh, if I happen to mention or talk about something that isn't uh, necessarily junior or college hockey. So forgive me for that, but hey, it's, it's, it's your choice to follow me or not. Um, most of the stuff you're going to read obviously is about hockey. But every once in a while, uh, I like to uh, be human as well. That's it. That's it for this week. We will talk to you next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, everybody, take care of each other, stay safe, and we will talk to you next week. I'm Gee Flaming. See ya.